Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Life is filled with transitions. Every generation faces them. From being the one that is a training ground to being the one that is in a position to execute. Few make the leaps through these transitions well, but how we run in the middle matters just as much as how we start or finish. The Bible is full of lessons about how we start, how we finish, and how the baton of leadership is passed to the next generation. No matter your fight, or whatever season you find yourself in, there is always something God can teach us. And He is revealing Himself through it all. Foothills, how we doing? Good, good, good. Hey, can we say a special welcome to our Pendleton campus as they're joining us today? Hey, and today is a very historic day because at 11 o'clock, Foothills Espanol has a soft launch. Let's go. It is gonna be incredible. Hey, last week was such an incredible week. How many of you were here for the 25th, the celebration? Man. The party, I wanna say thank you to everybody who participated and volunteered to make that party happen. We welcomed thousands of people here in our community. I know Pendleton Campus, you guys came over and helped out as well. Thousands came here on campus and we just created an atmosphere that felt like foothills. It was a place where anyone could belong in church. I just wanna say thank you. And if you were part of the service, the service was incredible too. Uh, Pendleton, you may not be able to see it, but the ground right in front of us where we prayed, this will forever now be an altar that's marked by tears and snot because that is, that is what went down last week. We're finishing our series today, Pass the Baton, and we're going to look at what happens after the baton is passed. Once the baton is passed in any type of race, or especially from one generation to the next, the race has to continue, but this is a really special moment because when you look, as a generation passes a baton to the next, what happens is you have a new starting point. Based on what the generation before you has accomplished, you now get to kind of jump off of their shoulders and run this next leg of the race at a different point than where that generation began before. So you have the opportunity to go further. However, once you take the baton, it's also a very fragile moment. And we're in this moment as a church where the baton has been passed from one generation to the next as far as leadership goes. We've just begun a new leg of the race, but the truth is every single one of us, we take batons at different points in our life. Like whether we inherit wealth or possessions or materials from the generation before us, or maybe we inherit skills or talents that were passed on to us by the generation before us. Maybe we inherit education that we got to be around because of the the generation before us, or we inherit a business, or we inherit children, or we inherit a new role within our family. Like we're all in these moments 
where we will take batons and it, it happens again and again at different seasons of our life. And what's true about you and what's true about me is the same. Our hope is that we would be able to go further than the generation before us. Our hope is that we would be able to accomplish more than the generation before us. And it's not just that we'd make more money or come up with more materials or numerically do more. What we really hope deep down, what you really hope deep down is that your life is able to make a greater impact than the generation before you. And that your life is able to make a greater impact because of your starting point, because of the generation before you. But again, it's a fragile moment. We could look just at history and, and what goes on in our world when a baton is passed and see how fragile this is. If you were to look at company, a company like JCPenney, how many of you remember JCPenney? JCPenney was in every mall I remember growing up. And as the world started to change and move digital, JCPenney brought in a new leader that could help them think in a digital direction. And the leader that they brought in actually had success leading at other organizations like Target and things like that. And this new leader started to make so many changes, but forgot what made JCPenney, JCPenney, made so many changes that things didn't go as well. And actually just a few years ago, you know what happened to JCPenney? Bankrupt, he gone. JCPenney no longer here, right? This, this, was a, this was a failure. This happens in families as well. If you look at family wealth, statistics show that only 30% of the next generation maintain the wealth of their family or build upon it. In fact, some statistics say that up to 70% of the family's wealth is squandered by the next generation. It's this fragile moment because the success of the generation before can create this almost complacency of those taking the baton that didn't realize exactly what it took to accomplish where they got to begin from. Now, the truth is because of that starting point, it can also be positive and you can go a lot further and you can do it a lot faster. And we've seen examples of this as well with companies like Apple. Like when Apple had to figure out how to replace Steve Jobs, how do you replace Steve Jobs that created the iPhone, the iPad, and the iPod? Yet Apple did it well when they found Tim Cook to replace him. He did, in, did so in 2012, and since then has sent them to over double what Steve Jobs was able to accomplish. Or this is a church, so let's talk about a slice of heaven or some chicken from heaven, Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A, founded by Truett Cathy. How do you replace the great Truett Cathy that perfected the chicken sandwich, that perfected an environment like Chick-fil-A where employees treat you the way that they do at Chick-fil-A? He spent 46 years building that company. And in 2013, after grooming up his son for years, he handed it to Dan Cathy. And in just seven years' time, Dan Cathy was able to accomplish almost double. 46 years before of hard work, and in seven years, almost double. There is an opportunity when a baton is handed to have a new starting point and go further faster, but it's also a fragile moment. And we see examples of this throughout scripture as well. We see great success in people like King Solomon who had accomplished so much and had gathered so much wealth, yet it only took one generation for things to fall apart and a kingdom to be divided in Israel. 
Or like last week where Pastor Greg talked about the baton being handed from Moses to Joshua. If you've been reading along in the Bible recap with that small group, you saw that it only took one more generation for Israel to forget who it was that really got them to the promised land in the first place, that it was God. And the nation went in a bad direction after that. But today, I wanna look at an example of an incredible succession story. A succession from the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, to his successor, Elisha. See, Elijah was, was a prophet of God at a dark time in Israel. And what a prophet's role was is he was the mouthpiece of God. And one of the really incredible ways that God worked through Elijah was he performed miracles. There are 14 recorded miracles in the Old Testament through Elijah. And what this is, this added credibility that, that he was truly coming on behalf of God. And then he would call the people of Israel back to obedience. There was a time in Elijah's story where he wondered if he was the only prophet of God out there. And God corrected him, told him there was others. But during that time, he also let him know that he had someone in mind to take Elijah's place. And he told him about this, this young man named Elisha. And Elijah went and started mentoring Elisha. He called him out of his life and Elisha began following him. And the anchor verse I wanna look at today is 2 Kings 2, verse nine. 2 Kings 2, verse nine. This is right before Elijah would pass the baton off and Elisha would take that role. And I recognize that Elijah and Elisha sound very, very similar. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna call Elisha, the younger one, the one taking the baton, we're gonna call him Young Eli. You with me, church? <laughs> young Eli is gonna be Elisha today. If you hear Elijah, we're talking about the role of the mentor. Second Kings 2.9, when they came to the other side, they had just crossed the Jordan River. We'll read that part in a moment. Elijah said to young Eli, tell me, what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And young Eli replied, please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Some translations say, I want a double portion of, of what has been accomplished through you. I want double. I don't just wanna kind of keep going or take this baton and do the best. I, I want to see even more in my generation than what God did through your generation. I have a better starting point because of you and I want, I want double. And you know what the scriptures show us after this? Elijah recorded 14 miracles in the Old Testament. You know how many young Eli would record? 28, exactly double. Young Eli would receive exactly double just as he had requested. And he would see God do more in him than the greatest prophet in Old Testament history. And Elijah was such a great prophet that literally when you go into the New Testament, you talk about Jesus's day, like the people aren't even remembering young Eli. They don't talk about him. They talk about still the greatest prophet, Elijah. Yet young Eli was able to accomplish double than the greatest prophet. How? That's what I wanna do. I wanna back up and look at their story, their journey together, so that you and I can learn together how can we take the batons that God gives us in our life and go further. And especially for us as a church, you guys, we celebrated last week 25 years. We shared the story that 25 years ago, it was 17 people. That was the starting point. 17 people and nothing but a vision and a heart for Jesus, right? 
and look at what God has done. Our starting point is much greater. So what we don't wanna do is take this moment lightly or or with a fragile, we wanna say, God, give us a double portion. (laughs) Give us a double move of your Holy Spirit. Give us more of your Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church, and in a move in our city so that more people can find and follow you, Jesus. Are you with me, church? You with me? So we're gonna look at three things from young Eli today. Because young Eli would take the role of leadership, but what we're gonna see is that he first had to start by being a good follower. How many of you know that? The best leaders are always the best followers first. The best leaders are always the best followers first. We have a vision and a mission here at Foothills that we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. In order for us to lead people to that, we gotta be good followers of Jesus first. So let's look at three things we can learn from young Eli about how to be a good follower today. Number one, run the race your leader is on. Run the race your leader is on. I wanna go to 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah would go and call young Eli to follow him, where he met him. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19, it says, so Elijah went and found young Eli, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. He was a farmer. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and young Eli was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and he threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Now, this is a very, this is a very significant moment. This cloak was kind of the mark of his role. This was the symbol of his role. And so he was making it very clear what this calling was at this moment. When he threw this over young Eli, he was saying, hey, you've been chosen. Like I'm calling you to do something different. And young Eli, he left the oxen standing there He ran after Elijah and he said to him, first, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye. He recognized he was about to have to say some goodbyes. He recognized that he was about to have to leave his current life, the current race he was on, then I'll go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. Young Eli was running a race in his life. Young Eli was, was building a career. He was, he was a farmer. He had his family. He was right there where everything was kind of comfortable and he, he had a good direction going and he was called to leave that behind. And so he recognized he was gonna have to leave. That's why he, at this moment, it's like, I gotta go say goodbye because I know I'm not gonna be running this same race anymore. And the truth is, this is kind of a picture of the way that Jesus would also call disciples. If you read in the gospels, you'll see a moment where Jesus calls a tax collector to leave that race that he's running behind, to leave that business that he's got for his, his ability to make money, leave it behind and follow him. He goes and finds fishermen and he tells them, hey, I want to make you fishers of men. I, I don't want you to do that business anymore. Step out and follow me. This is a picture of that same, that same moment where we where, where, where Jesus's followers would leave the race they were on to begin following and running the race that Jesus was on. And many of us are running races right now today. You're running a race maybe to finish your education and looking down the next line to figure out what your career is gonna be, or you're running the race in your career to, to try and make advancements and get the next upgrade, the next promotion, the next opportunity. You may be running a race 
to, to meet your significant other and begin your family. You may be running the race in parenting and what you're trying to accomplish and, and offer for your kids. You may be running the race with, with, um, with physical health and nutrition and, and fitness. You may be running a race of trying to travel and see the world. You may be running the race towards retirement right now and, and creating financial security so you can step. All of us are running different races in our life. And there's always a moment where Jesus invites us to pivot our thinking in that race and join the race that he is on and start running the race for him and for his glory. And in fact, it's not just a moment that we start, it's a moment that we have to keep running because it's so easy to get distracted and, and get off course. Remember, young Eli said, I'm gonna go back and Elijah told him, well, don't forget what I've told you today because it's so easy to lose our focus. Last fall, I was actually running a, a physical race. This was, uh, it was a half marathon that was in a trail. It was called the Jones Gap uh, Trail. This was up near kind of Pickens area. And we had to run up a mountain. And I've, I've confessed and repented of this decision with the Lord because it was not very wise of me to go run in this race. I don't know why anybody runs up mountains, but um, I've got bad influences in my life that are friends that, so. I, I start running this race and, you know, in, in, a, in a normal road race, you, you just kind of lock into a zone. When you're running up a mountain and a trail, there's twists and turns. You gotta stay focused. It's not just physical focus, it's mental focus. I mean, you're, you're jumping over roots and rocks and, and you're watching because so many times it looks like the trail kind of splits off or mud goes this way and you can't really tell which way's the trail. So you gotta make sure you're looking for the markings and, and sometimes they're marked well and sometimes they're not. They just expect you to know exactly where to go out there. And so I'm, I'm running up this hill and I just, I remember at one point looking down and, and I recognize that like the hill I'm on just kind of keeps, keeps going to the side. And I'm, I mean, I'm turning my ankles and the path just kind of dies and I'm now, I'm now just in brush. And so I stopped for a moment. I'm like, this, this can't be right. I'm out there alone at this point. I'm like, this can't be right. Uh, did, I, did I turn the wrong way? I have no idea where I am. I'm in a mountain. And so I'm, I'm looking behind me, I'm looking this way. And then I see people start walking towards me and they're shaking their heads. And I'm like, did we, did we get off course? And they're like, yes, we got off course. I'm like, oh no, I have no idea how far, but now I gotta walk all the way back over to the actual course. I mean, this is, this is you know, hurting my time. It's, I've spent more energy on this. This is the moment where I'm regretting gratefully, like with a great deal, like, why did I do this? What am I doing out here? But I got back over to the race. And then what I did is I, I started to find people that were ahead of me. And even though they were faster than me, I just tried to run at their pace enough to keep up because I didn't want to get lost again. I didn't wanna get off course again. I needed somebody to kind of look to that could lead. And this is so applicable in our journey with following Jesus. Like it is not easy to follow Jesus. In fact, he warns that it won't be easy. It's so easy to lose focus. And there's so many things pulling us in different races or in different directions that pull us away from him. And it's so important that we, that we stay focused and we keep running. And this is why the church is so crucial because you have other people you can look to that are running out in front of you or that are headed back and telling you, yeah, don't go where I just went. <laughs> it gets worse, I promise. Come, come back this way with me and get back over to the race. It's why, it's why there's this passage in Hebrews 12. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. Church, can you say that word, endurance? All right, let's do this together. Let us run with the race God has set before us. Let us run with endurance. Like, there's a starting point when Jesus calls us that we start running this race, but endurance is the key because it's going to get hard at moments. There's going to be moments that maybe even we get off course, and it's hard because we got we to gotta humble ourselves and go back to the course, but continuing to run, continuing to run this good race. The first week, we looked at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And in one of Paul's letters to Timothy, he was really at the end of his life and he was able to say, I finished the good race. I finished the good, he continued running with endurance. I've been thinking about that all week and about this moment that our church is in. Endurance is this continual to push through even when it's hard, but it's a continue to push through as well all the way to the finish line. Not to a certain point where you feel like I did enough, but all the way to the finish line. I've been thinking about this moment our church is in, and I've been thinking about the different generations that are represented in our church. I think one of the things that makes Foothills so special is that we're a multi-generational church. I think it makes this church so special. Pendleton, I'm sure like you see this at your campus as well, but like here in Seneca today, we, we literally, we had a 16-year-old leading a song and we had someone who, who is approaching 80 playing keys. And that, that is a beautiful picture of what you see in this church. It's a beautiful picture. But I know, I know we got an enemy that's crafty and he likes to lie. And, and I think there's this blurry line there's this like blurry line between feeling like you're too young to be effective and then all of a sudden, it's like there was never a sweet spot and the enemy just kind of like, oh, now I'm gonna tell you that you're too old to be relevant. You know what I'm saying, church? Like if you felt both of those at different seasons in your life, like it's a not yet kind of feeling, I'm just not quite in the space where I can be effective. I'm not looked at as, as somebody that's ready for this. I'm looked down on, I feel insecure about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, where was the sweet spot? Now, now I, don't even, I don't know, I don't even know what's cool anymore. <laughs> like I'm, I'm out of relevance. Listen, listen, the enemy wants to do that so that he can separate generations. You know what the enemy would love? He would love for churches to be segmented by age. He would love for you to be in a church where you're just with people who look like you, who are in the exact same season of life as you so that you stay exclusive and you don't pass the baton to the next generation to keep running that race. And I just wanna tell you if, you, if you feel in this moment, if you saw a baton handed from Pastor Greg to myself last week and you thought, well, there goes my relevance in this church. This church is about to grow younger and I'm not sure that 
I'm not sure what my role is or how I fit anymore. I just wanna speak to you for a moment. First off, Pastor Greg's not going anywhere because all that's shifted is a role of leadership, but his role in this church is extremely important today. And, and if you are in, in, a, in a position where you feel like, man, I wonder how relevant I am, I wanna let you know that you are extremely relevant. You know what I need? And you know what this, this, some of the young generation around me needs? We need men and women of God who are seasons ahead of us that are still telling us truth about how to love our spouse, how to manage our finance, how to be a light in a world that's so dark, y'all. Like we need your wisdom. We need your example. This is not the time to stop running. We need you to keep running. We need you to keep running. So I want to encourage and challenge and empower you to keep running in this church. We absolutely need you. I love it in Pendleton, Pastor Joseph and the, the group, they've got a group that they, they've coined as the seasoned adults. <laughs> Listen, if that's how you feel, what I want you to know is that in this church, that's a strength. That is a strength. Your history with God, yes. Your history with God is a strength. Your history of mistakes is a strength. Be vulnerable with us. Be vulnerable, share. Your history is a strength for the next generation. And now I wanna speak to the younger generation. Because I, I would tell you, on behalf of those that in this room have kids and grandkids that they're hoping find Jesus, they're hoping to get on fire for Jesus. What they're looking for is another young generation to take the baton and be passionate about their relationship with Jesus. To the young generation, you know what Paul said to Timothy? He said, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. Young generation, we need your vision. <laughs> We need your passion for Jesus. We need people who are ready to run at a pace to reach this world because there are still lost and broken and hurting people. And the only solution is Jesus. The only solution is Jesus. And young generation, we've got that. We've got that. So we gotta run with endurance. Run the race that your leader is on. Run the race your leader is on. Run the race that, that Jesus has set out before us. Young generation, look for older generations that are running that race. Jump on and run with them. It also says in Hebrews to throw off every weight that slows us down. That leads us to point two today. Burn your backup plan. Burn your backup plan. Right after young Eli runs home, says goodbye to his folks. Look at what happens next. It says, so young Eli returned his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow. This is his, this is his business, y'all. He's a farmer. He's using his livelihood. Used the wood from the plow to build a fire. He burned it up. He roasted the flesh. This is his possessions. The oxen are worth something. This is his possessions. What does he do? He passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. This was, this was a marker, a moment for him to burn it up and tell Elijah, I'm all in, dude. I'm all in. This is, there, there is no plan B. Plan B is the same as plan A. If I get kicked down or if I fall down, I get back up. This is all I got. This is all that I have. 
And Elijah, listen what Elijah does. Elijah shows him how difficult it is to be a prophet of God. He does not make it easy on him because he wants him to really mean that. And this is such a significant moment to, to, to throw off that weight, to burn the backup plan, because when things do get hard, backup plans really become dead weight that you're trying to carry into a new mission. You could say it like this, like a backup plan can easily become a give up plan when things get hard. I'm gonna say that again. A backup plan can easily become a give up plan when things get hard. And so Elijah says, okay, you've thrown it off. Let me show you. In 2 Kings 2, verse two, Elijah says to young Eli, stay here. The Lord's told me to go to Bethel. Now Bethel's a hard place. I'll explain in a moment. But young Eli replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'll never leave you. I mean this. I mean this, like I'm in. So they went down together to Bethel. Bethel was a place where pagan worship was running rampant. And if, if you were a prophet of the one true God, you were greatly opposed. This was not an easy place to be a prophet. And Elijah wanted to say, see it. Like, hey, here's, here's what the future's gonna, you're gonna be rejected. This is not going to be easy. But young Eli goes and he says, all right, well, let's, let's see if you're ready for level two. Verse four of that same chapter says, then Elijah said to young Eli, well, stay here. Flores now told me to go to Jericho. And young Eli replies the same way. Well, Jericho, it wasn't just about pagan worship. There was also political and economic power that was going on that was opposed to the one true God. This was a level up of the amount of adversity that young Eli had to walk through and learn. But young Eli sticks with him. And then you can see in verse six, he takes him to a physical obstacle. It says, Elijah said to young Eli, stay here if the Lord told me to go to the Jordan River. This is a huge river with a huge current. We're not gonna be able to get across without the strength of the Lord with us, without the spirit of God with us. But young Eli's like, uh-uh, you ain't leaving me behind. I'm going with you. And what you'll see in the scripture is Elijah ends up performing a miracle and, and the river parts and they're able to go through. And at each step, he's able to see this is not gonna be easy. There's going to be obstacles, but God is going to be with you just as we talked about last week, church. That God is going to be with you. There's some important lessons in this. Like little side notes, like if you're a mentor mentoring someone young, I wanna encourage you, don't make it easier on that person than what they're gonna need when they take the baton one day. Like Elijah did not make it easier for young Eli by shielding him from the realities of what he was gonna have to walk into. He let him go with him. He let him see what was going to happen. And young Eli wasn't willing to get a shielded version. Now, young Eli could have gotten a shielded version, but listen, he would have never gotten a double share of the spirit. He would have never gotten a double portion. What allowed him to get double is he got to feel it all. And so I wanna say to you, like if you're, a, if you're a young person that's got a mentor or you want a mentor in your life, if you wanna go further than the generation before you, you don't need to look for a leader to come into your world and fit in your schedule to give you a little bit of counsel. If you need that, go get a counselor. But if you want a mentor, if you want to go further than that person, what you do is you find that mentor and you reorient your life and your schedule around the race that they're on. 
You go get on their schedule. You go see what they're walking through. You go see what their pressure is like. That is how you receive and understand. Okay, now I'm getting a picture. Now I'm getting prepared so that when the day comes, you have a starting point of right where they're at. You're not having to start with surprises. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. See, we have this beautiful thing in salvation where Jesus came and he saved us right where we're at. We didn't have to do anything for that except turn around and receive it. Turn around, Jesus, I, I receive you as, as my savior. We didn't have to get cleaned up. He came to us right where we are and he saved us and he offered us salvation. But when it comes to the discipleship process, when it comes to following Jesus, he invites us to leave all of that stuff behind to deny ourselves, to burn those backup plans and begin following him. And that's where the sweetness of discipleship takes place. Jesus saves us where we're at, but he disciples us where he's at. And we see that in the gospels. He went and called the disciples. He saved them where they're at, but then they followed him and that's where he discipled them. Well, where's Jesus today? Well, for us, we gotta spend time in his word to see where he is. He's right here. He's given us his word. He's given us his instruction. He's given us his heart. He's given us his mission right here in the gospels. This is where he's at. He saves us where we're at, but he disciples us where he's at. We gotta run the race our leaders on. We gotta burn our backup plan. Number three, we gotta take the baton. When it's time, we gotta take the baton. There'll be a moment where Elijah would get taken up to heaven in this like just epic fashion. And the cloak, which is the baton, right? It was the symbol, it would be left there. So let's look, 2 Kings 2, 13 and 14. Young Eli picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. And then young Eli returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak this baton, he struck it with it and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then God showed up. The river divided and young Eli went across. This would be the first of 28 recorded miracles that young Eli would get to participate in. There was witnesses there that were followers of Elijah that saw this, they witnessed it and they were like, oh my goodness. The same God who was with Elijah is now with young Eli. And, and it was the moment where they were in to start following he picked up that baton. Church, last week we celebrated what God's done for, for the last 25 years and it's unbelievable. The history of what he's done is something that we give him glory for. Many of you, most of you are here in this room and following Jesus because of that history. Because of that history. There's been a baton handed and it's, it's not a baton, just as I said, for, for, for multi-generations here. It's not a baton of, of one generation quitting and the next generation starting. It's a baton for a next leg of a race. And maybe your assignment's shifting or changing, but there's a next leg of the race. And this week's leg matters as much as last week's leg. Because there are people in this community. There are people in Pendleton there are people in the Hispanic community around us who are dealing with broken hearts, who are dealing with loneliness, who are dealing with addictions, who are walking hopelessly, aiming for the best they can get out of life and they can't find it out there. The only place they can find it is in Jesus. And what Jesus does 
is he invites his followers to take the baton to become his witnesses. That's why in Matthew 4, 19, when he called those fishermen, he, he called them out and he said, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. Like, I wanna take what you're good at and I wanna use it in my kingdom so that you can be my witnesses out in the world. Like these three points, run the race your leader's on, to, to, to burn the backup plan, to take the baton. This is good for a mentor-mentee relationship, but this is also good for our walk with Jesus and our mission with Jesus. Have you looked at your life and said, am I running a race for my end or Jesus's end? Am I on the race that Jesus is on? And do I have dead weight that I'm trying to carry as backup plans if it, if it doesn't work out? Like, do I have things that are holding me back from jumping all in on what Jesus wants me to accomplish? How he wants me to use my business for his glory, how he wants me to use these relationships for his glory, how he wants me to love my family, lead my family for his glory. Is this race, like, am, am I a degree off because I'm focused on my race or am I on his race? Have I burned the backup plan and have I truly taken the baton of the calling he's placed on my life. And I know sometimes that, that idea of the calling he's placed on our life can kind of cripple us to wondering, well, what am I called to? And I, you know, not all of us are, are called to vocational ministry. I, I wanna show you exactly what you're called to because it's the same thing that I'm called to. It's the same thing that Jesus calls all of his followers to. It's the same thing that we started this series with. It's the same thing we're gonna end this series with. Every single follower of Jesus has been handed the baton of our calling from Jesus to fulfill the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's where we get our mission statement, help people find and follow Jesus. So if there's any part of you that's wrestling, saying, I'm trying to figure out, God, what's your call for my life? Start there. <laughs> then he'll show you what happens specifically after that. That's all his disciples did. They just started by fulfilling the great commission at the beginning of Acts. And then the Holy Spirit started to direct them for where that would take place. Step one is that we help people find and follow Jesus. We've got to take that baton. Speaking of batons, I want to pass over to Pastor Joseph and Pendleton. He's got a word specifically for you. Seneca, can we say bye to Pendleton? I hope you guys have a great week. What I look at here in Seneca and those, those online church, I think we have an amazing opportunity right now. I mean, how many of you just saw it last week when we had this party out back for this celebration? How many of you were floored at the amount of people that came here? And it's like, if you're like me, I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know who these people are. I, I, I don't know who they are. And I guarantee you that there are plenty of people here that not only don't have a church, but don't know their savior, Jesus. That haven't, that haven't given their life to Jesus. That haven't received the greatest news there is. And whose responsibility is it to tell them that greatest news, church? It's ours. It's ours. Not only do we have a great opportunity because of the amount of people that came last week, but we have a great opportunity because next week's Easter. And this is a time where people are more curious about Jesus than any other time in the year. We saw how many people responded to an invitation to a party. You know what? Statistics show that they're more likely to respond to an invitation on Easter than any other time of the year. 
And so I, I've been thinking about this all week. Like, how do we take advantage of this opportunity? And what I wanna do is right in front of you, there's some invite cards. I want you to grab them and hold them up. Front row, we're gonna get you guys these right after the service. Our, our auditorium host will bring them to you. I want, I want you to hold them up. They're right in front of you. Some invite cards, Easter. Everybody, let's do it together. Let's do it together. Hold them up. Once every hand's in the air, we'll move on. All together. That's right. That's right. Should be two. That's right. Yep. Yeah, if you're in, if you're in these in-between sections, they're actually in front of you there. Yep. Actually, we've got somebody coming to hand to the front row right now. Thank you, Miss Suzanne. You're awesome. Drew's coming. It's awesome. Keep him up. Keep him up. Come on. Come on. Let's think about this. These, these may just look like invite cards, but truthfully, what if they represented people in your life? What if they represented stories in your life? I just started to kind of like, I love to dream and, and I like numbers, so I like playing around with numbers sometimes. I was like, well, what if, what if our whole church linked arms and committed to invite, personally invite two people? Personally invite two people. Like if, God, if we say, God, let's, do, let's go double up, double portion, right? We want double. Let's, let's all invite two people. What if we did that? And then I just started thinking, I'm like, well, if every single one of us invited two people, if only one fifth of those came, that'd be pretty awesome. You know what? Statistics actually say that that'd be a modest response on Easter. People are more likely to come. But what if one fifth came? And then I started thinking again, I'm, I'm doing math on my calculator and I'm like, all right, I need calculators for math. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm like, well, what if one fifth of those guests that did come didn't know you, Jesus? What if just one fifth of them didn't know? What if just one fifth of the one fifth that came, like we're talking small numbers here. What if just one fifth said, Jesus, I'm in. I want a relationship with you. You know how many people that would be? Next week, we'd see over 80 people say yes to Jesus. Just from that. And that is modest. Church, I think we have an opportunity right now, not just because Easter, but because there's, we have a mass of numbers, a mass of people who have been transformed by the love of Jesus and we get to go be his witnesses. If we all link arms, I think that we could see God start to pour out a double portion right now in our generation. That we can go further faster, right? Right? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. And church, I know we're in a season, like last week we celebrated, Pastor Greg handed the baton to me. That's not what this is about. <laughs> this church has is, is always been about, it's us collectively. Like we're taking the baton together of the next leg of the race to help people find and follow Jesus. We have a lot more than 17 people today that get to link arms to accomplish this mission. And so I, I wanna encourage you to look at these cards and we're gonna take a moment and pray. And I want you to pray that God would put two people on your heart right now. And I want you to pray about that invitation. I want you to pray about God. When would you have me invite them? If you're online, we've got, we've got digital invites that you can message to someone. I want you to pray even in this moment. Participate with us. I want you to pray. Who are those two people, God? And when am I going to invite them this week? And I'm just gonna let the room kind of be in silence for you to spend a moment in prayer and then I'll close this in prayer. So let's go ahead. You pray right there with your invite cards. God, who is it? God, when am I gonna invite them?
God, I'm just filled with gratitude for the people that invited me to hear of the greatest news. It was my family, Lord. But I think of the many people in my life, it was different seasons that you used somebody to invite them to a church and they, hear, they heard the greatest news and responded. And so God, I just pray that you would be with every single invitation this week. You would give us focus to go out and invite. Lord, that you would give us favor with those conversations. And Lord, that you would move it on the hearts of people who don't know you to respond and say yes and show up. And Lord, we pray in advance for what you're gonna do next week. We pray for salvations next week. We pray that people would, would move from death to life and receive the free gift of salvation because of what you did on the cross. And in fact, you may be here today and you may have been responding to an invitation. You may have been curiously kind of coming around. Maybe you've been here a little while, but you've never responded to the good news that Jesus wants to call you out of where you're at. He wants to save you right where you're at. He's not waiting for you to clean things up. He's got everything you need to be cleaned up in his blood. He's sacrificed it. He took your punishment on the cross and, and God raised him from the dead. And today, you wanna call on him as savior. You could just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, would you save me? I'm broken without you. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I'm gonna commit to leave my life behind and follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen.